last one picked. Our seventh grade class was divided into several cliques. The boy crazy girls, the horse crazy girls, the sporty girls, the brainy girls, and the blah girls, the default category of those with no mainstream identity. The boy crazy girls were defined by the fact that boys pursued them. The horse crazy girls by the fact they had a horse and the brainy girls by the fact that their names were read out at assemblies and then prominently posted on a hallway bulletin board. The attributes of the sporty girls were on display every afternoon in gym class. These cliques were pretty much mutually exclusive. I don't think that any of the boy crazy girls would be considered brainy, in part because academic achievement was not a big turn-on for the boys. The sporty girls were not considered boy crazy because the boys had no knowledge of girls' sports. And the horse crazy girls, well, they were just in their own world as they galloped across the field whinnying. Although I occasionally flirted with being brainy, I had pinned my identity on being sporty. It was fairly easy to qualify. All I needed to do was hit a baseball out of the infield or throw on target. My grandfather had also taught me all the arcane rules of baseball. I was in. However, unlike other cliques, it was also painfully obvious who was out. I knew early on that I was tone deaf, but that was easy to finesse. I simply didn't try out for choir. The boy crazy group was a clandestine affair involving passing notes in class, and there was no such thing as a low honor roll. But gym class was a required daily activity. At school, we played baseball, but in the pre-Title IX days of the 1960s, these activities were merely the infrastructure for mandated exercise. Unlike the boys, there were no coaches, leagues, or even spectators. Scoring was optional. Even so, it was impossible to hide athletic ineptitude. One afternoon, the gym teacher selected me, along with my friend Kit Spaulding, to be captains of the softball team. My classmates stood in a row in front of me, squinting into the afternoon sun, wearing a uniform of baggy green shorts and cute white button-down shirts with Peter Pan collars, this being an era before T-shirts were ever considered appropriate outerwear for girls. Some classmates hopefully punched their fists into their mitts, some stared directly at me, and some looked down and rubbed their shoes into the infield dirt. Kit and I quickly made our first selections from the ranks of the sporty girls. I chose Athletic Susan as the pitcher and then considered potential infielders. Shortstop and second base were important choices. They would see most of the action, and there might be some chance of holding the batter to a single. The priority between third and first base was a toss-up. It would be nice to have a decent fielder at third, but I knew that few of us could throw all the way across the infield to first. On the other hand, the first baseman did not have to be a good fielder since few balls were hit towards the right. But I did want the first baseman to be able to catch a ball. Theoretically, the rest of the infielders would be throwing the ball directly to first, and all she had to do was stick her mitt out. Much easier than trying to field a ball skidding off the lumpy infield. I selected Pam, Helen, and Lucy for the infield. I kept first base for myself. This high-visibility, low-stress position was a captain's prerogative. Kit and I had now run through all the athletes and were moving into the ranks of marginally capable and totally inept. Suddenly, I felt the crushing responsibility of my captaincy. I wanted to showcase my baseball savvy by making deft choices, 
but I also knew that with a careless pick, I could scuttle the identity of a classmate who foolishly thought she qualified as a sporty girl. I agonized as I considered my next picks for catcher and the outfield. Traditionally, the catcher is the rock of the team, the on-field captain squatting in the dirt and standing firm as a runner comes barreling down from third. These criteria were just not relevant on our seventh grade team. I don't think that any remaining classmates would know when and how to tag a player. Besides, who among us would even consider a full frontal collision? That might be appropriate for boys, but girls' sports were a resolutely non-contact affair. Chances are that feminine politeness would rule the day, with the catcher simply stepping out of the way of an incoming runner. However, I did have a secret agenda for the catcher. I thought I would put one of the boy-crazy queen bee types of catcher and instruct her to use her natural skills at peer pressure to convince the batter to take a swing at a bad pitch. As the pitch come in, she could say, Hey, batter, batter, this looks like a good one. You better take a swing at this. If you just stand there, you'll look like a dope. Here it comes. Hey, batter, batter, swing, swing, swing. Debbie would be perfect for this position. She was the leader among the boy crazies, and her co-ed parties were a coveted invitation. Her clique had always been just beyond my reach, but I thought if I put Debbie in the spotlight at Catcher, she might reciprocate by finally inviting me to one of her parties. My next strategy was to platoon some horse-crazy girls in the outfield. Even though they probably couldn't catch a fly ball, I assumed they could run like the wind, and besides, they would feel most at home in the pasture-like setting of the outfield. I slated Peggy and Jennifer for the outfield and hoped they appreciated my captain's thoughtfulness. One pick left. And there they stood before me, Trish and Gloria, my two most spectacularly unathletic classmates. From a competitive standpoint, it really didn't matter who I picked. I was just going to stash her out in right field. No one ever hit to the opposite field. But then I realized with horror that my pick would only leave one classmate. By default, she would become the last one picked and suffer the eternal stigma of schoolyard shame. I felt like I was taking out a dull needle and stitching the scarlet letters L-O-P onto a fragile adolescent psyche. Trish was relatively new to our school, and her almost translucent skin, frizzy hair, and steady presence on the high honor roll made her an unfortunate target of casual adolescent cruelty. But the odd thing about Trish was that she was totally oblivious to our scorn, thought that the kick-me sign pasted to her skirt was a laugh riot, and tolerated other slights with amazing good humor. She was the type of person who would not realize that being sent to play right field without a mid was a form of damage control rather than an affirmation of her fielding abilities. I did not know Gloria well, except that her nickname was Puddles. She was tall, clunky, and had a perpetual sour look on her face, but now she looked at me eagerly. Perhaps my pick could rescue her from the block click. But I froze. Kit stood quietly next to me. She would inherit the last pick. Her hands would be clean and blameless. The honor of being selected as a captain gave way to resentment. I had lingering guilt about Trisha's kick-me sign 
But now it seemed that I had been forced into being an agent of institutionalized cruelty. How could the gym teacher do this to a seventh grader? Was this supposed to be a life lesson for me? My first lonely at the top decision? What kind of life lesson was this for the unfortunate last one picked? On an impulse, and perhaps to redeem my past kick-me sin, I picked Trish, who gratefully skipped over to my team. As I watched the deflated puddles trudge over to Kit's team, I despaired that in atoning for one sin, I had simply committed another. I was too traumatized to have any recollection of the sad little game we played. However, as we filed back to the locker room, Puddles caught up to me and said, I know that I'm no good at softball, but my mother told me that there was an accident when I was born, and my right arm is weak, and that's why I can't throw well. It's not my fault, you know. I was stunned. It was utterly unfair to spring a disability on me. As captain, I should have been given some sort of scouting report. Even the meanest person would not make a disabled classmate the last one picked. After grade school, I didn't see puddles for years until I finally ran into her at a black tie event. She was stunning, beautiful, slim, a real boy crazy girl at last. I only hoped our schoolyard drama had faded into a harmless memory. Then I began to think that I had it all wrong. It was me, I was the victim here. For decades, I had endured a cloying veil of guilt that had seeped into my core. But Puddles must have known that she was not athletic. Certainly, I was not the first or the last captain to stigmatize her as the last one picked. She was just seeking revenge. Yes, that must have been it. She had brilliantly concocted her damaged at birth story to inflict maximum damage on me and my sporty identity.